filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter. You deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is a, uh, a jubilant episode of Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we talk about DC United. And this week, we have the rare honor of talking about a 7-1 to one win for the Black and Red over Toronto FC. Uh, that's what we're talking about on this episode. Later in the week, we will sit down with Jason Davis, from the United States of Soccer and the Best Soccer Show and blogging a million years ago. He's, if, if you follow I mean, American Soccer, you know Jason Davis, right? Uh, we will sit down with Jason Davis. If you are a Patreon supporter of ours, you will get early access to that episode before everyone else. So check out patreon.com slash filibuster. Um, before we get into the what I only assume now is DC United's ownership of the province of Ontario. Uh, got to ask you guys this question, Jason, what are you drinking? So uh, I guess a couple of weeks ago, I tried to make this, um, I, it was hot out. I wanted to make this bourbon seltzer kind of drink that called for infusing uh, some bourbon with some cherries. So I did all that stuff. I made that drink. It wasn't very good. This is not that drink. Um, I still had the leftover infused bourbon and the leftover cherries because the batch it called for, for was for like a party. Um, and so I still had all that stuff and the bourbon cherries keep for like a month, uh, allegedly a month. And then the bourbon is just, it's bourbon infused with cherries. So after drinking the full one that wasn't any good, I thought about it for a little while and I realized that what it needed to be, uh, what needed to become was a, a ginger and bourbon highball kind of thing. Uh, so I've got some ginger ale. I've got some of this cherry infused, uh, Evan Williams. I've got three of the bourbon soaked cherries floating in there. It looks a lot like a Shirley temple, uh, but it does have alcohol in it. It's better. It has a lot of alcohol. Uh, I mean, I only put a certain amount in, uh, it's like a shot, a shot and a half. So it's not that much. It's fine. Ben, what are you drinking? Uh, I went and decided to try to grab a uh, scotch I have never had before uh, from the alcoholic beverage control store. I will say, as an aside, uh, the person in front of me, she said she was from Maryland and she was amazed at how much cheaper alcohol was in Virginia than it was in Maryland. So. It, it depends on what county you're in. Because Maryland has 23 different sets of laws. Uh, it's not. I think she plan. said she was from Germantown. So if she's from the Montgomery County, then she should have the closest experience to Virginia because they've also got uh, county-run ABC stores. Right. She um, said her stole. She said her the prices. Yeah. She said her no, stoli was. Yeah. She said her stoli in Virginia was much cheaper. That's interesting because the, she the said her, Montgomery she said County ones are notoriously less than surrounding jurisdictions. She said her huh. fifth of Stoli would have cost her thirty dollars in 
Germantown. Well, that's just too much to pay for Stoli, first of all. Right. That's why she was happy to be in Virginia. <laughs> but anyways, that's I didn't buy Stoli. I bought scotch. And what I bought was a monkey shoulder scotch, which I have read online is like a good value scotch. It's a, it's a space side scotch. So um, I prefer like the really peaty, really smoky scotches. This isn't that, but it's still a good scotch. And a fifth is like in the, the under $40 range, which for uh, uh scotch is pretty good. So I'm enjoying it. Good. Can I, can I interject uh, that uh, you might've briefly noticed I was speaking while clearly having some food. Uh, I just ate one of the bourbon cherries, and it that was heavy on the alcohol. Um, that that I figured. The I, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I figured. Uh, on Friday, I got off work early, went up to the the new brewery in town, City State Brewing, up uh, in Edgewood. Uh, rode my bike up the Met Branch Trail. It was very pleasant. Went in there, watched uh, Italy and Belgium uh, in their Euro quarterfinal. And uh, grabbed a couple of drinks and grabbed some crowlers to to bring home. And I am on the last of the four crowlers I brought home. Uh, this is their Lost Laws Pilsner. It's a pretty tasty little Pilsner. Um, and you know, got a coolie. Uh, mildly hoppy, like in the middle. It's not not like IPA hoppy, certainly. But, I mean, a Pilsner, I think, should have hops. Oh, so, I mean, yeah, that's give me a check, Pilsner. Pilsner. Okay, if you say so. Um, but I, I think it's good. It tastes the way I think a Pilsner probably ought to. Um, saw the owner of the place while I was up there. Got a tour from him. Uh, it was very cool. Very good experience. Uh, had a good time. Had some good beer. So having one of those beers now. Um, with the formalities out of the way. Um, Let's move on to the soccer uh, in what I guess you could call a coming out party. DC United scored after 70 seconds and uh, never looked back, crushing Toronto FC 7-1 to Saturday on Buzzard Point. And now folks around MLS know what we've been saying on this show for several weeks now. DC United are good, actually. Um, before we get into the, the other soccer, or the rest, the more detail... Uh, I do want to shout out DC United as the organization and all of the supporters in the Chico stand uh, paying tribute to Big Rob, Rob Gillespie, Gillespie, excuse me, who passed away a little over a week ago now um, after a long battle with cancer. We've talked about him on this show. We mentioned him at the top of last show uh, and shared a GoFundMe for his son, Marco. Um, And I, I was moved to tears a couple of times. Not even by the wonderful soccer, but just by the the tributes to Rob and then watching the replay of the game and the highlights, hearing Dave Johnson talk about him. Um, I I am it, it was a great opportunity to remember Big Rob and to um celebrate his memory. Uh and and I think everything about the day was the best possible way to do that. Yeah, it was it was I think it's important that we see uh a Tifo that was a group project. Um, after yes, that's very funny. Uh, that being a thing that wasn't necessarily so common for for a while there. Um, so that part was really nice, and um, it was nice that it it wasn't just a fan thing, and it wasn't even just uh, on the broadcast. Um, it was also 
the players, you know, Russell Canals uh, had that jersey that he uh, came off the sideline, uh, the big Rob jersey that uh, you've probably seen in photographs uh, here and there. Um, those things, uh, they do matter. Uh, it, it's nice that uh, the club's in a place where it can engage in that more than just saying, you know, let's put together a nice social media graphic. Um, it wasn't just do, let's do the one thing and then we're done with it. Uh, so that was really cool of, of really of everyone involved. Onto the field, uh, Kevin Paredes, Nigel Roberta, Paul Ariola, Ola Kamara, Yamil Assad, and Griffin Yao all scored. And so did own goal, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, but we're starting this well, discussion we- tonight with Andy Nahar, who had two assists and should have been player of the week despite not scoring a goal. He had two assists as uh, what I think might be a tactically unique thing, in at least in Major League Soccer, an advanced playmaking center back, and he's just owning it. I love it so much. Well, Losada told us very early in the season, um, I believe right after asking about the Brendan Hines-Ike goal in the opener, um, about the prospect of, if DC is getting that many numbers forward, uh, that player, uh, right center back or left center back, so far for DC, it's mostly been right center back in part because of who's been playing there. Um, but that player is going to get into dangerous positions and has to do something with the ball. Uh, you can't just be a guy receiving the ball and keeping it moving. You have to be able to find some way to make an impact for this team to be, uh, it's attacking best. And, um, you're not going to find too many players right now who are doing more with the ball to, you know, it doesn't even have to be assists for, for uh, Nahar right now so much as it is because he's so shifty on the ball, because he can beat someone on the dribble, he can change the geometry of what's going on around him. So it's not, you know, it's great if he gets to assist, that's awesome. Um, but what's going to be more consistent is just going to be that ability to shift a defender out of the way, change the angle, do something unexpected, uh, from a position that most MLS teams are expecting a typical center back to be in that position. And instead, they're getting a guy who has had success as a uh, attacking winger um, in that space, and they're not prepared the for what's League. coming. <laughs> yeah, they're, they oh, are right. not, they're caught off guard. Well, I mean, this, and I feel like this is the closest thing at the moment that uh, uh, MLS is getting to the, the – uh, mid-70s Dutch total football. It's Andy Nahar making decisive runs out of the back and contributing to the attack. He's he, like, DC United has a good attack, has a good midfield, but the ability for Andy Nahar to come out of a position where no MLS team is expecting a decisive run from a center back uh, to be that incisive, to contribute to assists, and he's just able to do it. And so that provides just an additional uh, point of attack for DC United that most other MLS teams right now aren't able to do, even if they're playing a 3-5-2 uh, or, a, a, or a position like that. Like most 3-5-2s, uh, 3-4-3s in MLS don't have uh, an Andy Nahar contributing to uh, to assists per game. Like uh, even LA, LAFC couldn't utilize Andy Nahar in that way. And the fact that Hernan Losada is able to get uh, uh, 
attacking play from all over the field. Like, I mean, we're, we're not expecting to, to score seven goals every week, but the fact that Hernan Losada could get that from all over the field, from seven different, seven different goal scorers, from Andy Nahar contributing that much, it's a real show that this team can do a lot of stuff from everywhere on the field. There's everybody on the field is, has the potential to attack. I mean, the first goal uh, came from a wingback. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's Arnon Losada's DC United. And just to throw this in with, cause I asked Losada about Nahar and I kind of, I kind of rolled the dice because Nahar, or uh, I'm sorry, Losada generally has kind of discouraged questions about individual players uh, in games. And when the team wins seven, one, you're going to want to talk about how the team did well. Um, But I did kind of roll the dice and I did want to ask him um, because, you know, this time last year, Nahar couldn't get a game for LAFC. Um, I think he ended up playing, I think it was like 10 appearances, but only one start, very few minutes. Um, The injury stuff persisted for him. Um, and, And the fact that, you know, Losada talked about, yeah, we did have to help him get his injuries right. So we did, take a different approach by taking a long view and getting him really, really, truly fit, getting him over his injuries and not just getting him fit enough to play, but actually getting the injury to go away. Um, But the other thing that Losada brought up that I think is maybe even more critical here is that Nahar needed somebody to believe in him. Um, He was potentially thinking about retiring. Um, And, you know, we have this happen in, in most preseasons. Someone comes in, on a trial and it's, you know, a favor or someone that uh, someone such and such knows and will give them a shot or, you know, Rodney Wallace kind of fell into that category this year as well. Um, Someone with a past with the team that, uh, you know, was trying to overcome a a pretty dramatic hip surgery. Um, And usually the reaction is kind of like, well, you know, if it works, it works great, but no one has any real expectations, but um, to get, Nahar believing that he's capable of doing this again, um, I think is, is just as big a story as getting him physically able to do it. Um, because who would have, I mean, even, even if you told me that he's going to become a starter most of the time this year, I would have assumed that that meant as a wingback or maybe as a central midfielder. Um, I did not expect it at all to come as a right center back. Um, and I, I certainly didn't expect it to happen this quickly. Uh, and so that's really, that's a remarkable thing. Like we're talking about this in February and March, like, well, if he makes it, that would be amazing. We're already, he's back. Uh, but also, you know, let's not, you know, let's not let our expectations get away from us. And instead we're getting kind of like something out of a movie script or, or something like that with how quickly he's turned around and become the Andy Nahara of all, except also he can play as a defender in a back three. Yeah, before long, people are going to start calling him the Honduran Beckenbauer if he keeps this up. <laughs> or maybe they'll call Beckenbauer the German Andy Nahar. I don't go. know. I think that that one's time limited, but, you know, let's make it happen huh? anyway. No, it's not. <laughs> let's do it. Um, we've mentioned Hernan Losada. I think when you have six different goal scorers on the team, the coach probably deserves plenty of kudos. And that's obviously the case for Hernan Losada, who somehow to was not coach of the week this week don't understand that i i guess gerhard struber has uh orlando's number and that was i mean beating orlando is something that losada hasn't done yet so i guess that that was enough to for the the voters on that one um 
I mean, there's so much he's, he's beloved already by the fan base. And certainly I'm no exception to that. I'm, I, I, I stand, I will openly admit it, but the buy-in he has from the team is incredible. Like you we heard, I think it was John Kempen said that he would die for Losada, and you got fans saying the same thing. Like, I'm going to leave a me-shaped hole in a wall for Hernan Losada. Like, uh, like just fans listening to his post-game huddle speech to the team are ready to like, which was great. Go do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's he's got a way, and uh, he's getting it done on the field too. Yeah, and I think uh, people were really questioning in the in the preseason and the early season. The uh, people were really complaining about like, oh, is Hernan Losada running these players into the ground with his uh, uh, with his fitness requirements and all these things? But I think it's now coming around that the fitness is starting to get there. And in this game, uh, obviously Toronto quit at an early point, but I mean this team is starting to get the fitness that Hernan Losada requires. And I think it's no small part to the fact that they believe in Hernan Losada uh, and they believe in his system and they believe in what he wants to do. And so they're willing to run through walls for him. They're willing to up that, uh, up that intensity that uh, isn't that common in MLS. Maybe you can say that uh, Peter Vermees teams have that kind of intensity, uh, but it's not all that common outside of that for MLS teams. And Arnold Losada is getting that. And I think it's a large part because the players buy into what he's doing. And a lot of that comes from, they can see that the tactical ideas are, are in place and, and it's not just DC's plans. It's also how they prepare for other teams. And every week they've, they know what the other team is going to do. This is not a team that has been caught off guard or surprised by anyone. Um, Even that San Jose loss, that wasn't none of the, none of what happened in that game came as a surprise. It was a failure of execution, not of, Oh, what is, what is this that San Jose is doing? Um, this week, they anticipated that TFC would consider dropping into a back five. Uh, they were prepared for it. And uh, Ariola brought this up after the game, talking about how um, they kind of knew that if TFC went to that back five, that what it, would, what it could result in if they played well enough would be a series of one-on-ones. It would be the wingbacks up against the other wingbacks and the front three against the three center backs. And that's exactly how it played out. Um, and from there, when you've got one team that is caught, you know, committed to the hilt, uh, and TFC would really rather not only not be there to on the day, but also maybe never see any of their teammates or associated, uh, coaches or anything ever again. Um, this is the result, you know, uh, there's a there's a thing going on kind of related to this, I think, where um, a lot of the story still has been, well, Chris Armas got fired. And of course, you know, a coach leaves a team in MLS that that does become the story. But some of it is like, well, TFC quit in that game. And it's like, well, TFC ha- has been uh, off. They, they quit a while ago. You know, we talked to Kristen Knowles about this. It was not an encouraging uh, time for TFC. That's not a group that was full of belief and just playing badly. Uh, that was a team that did not want to play together coming in. How many 7-1 losses does TFC have? Um, so Right. I mean, like, a- it's still 
It's still the most individual goal scores in MLS history. Like, like so many teams, especially so many TFC teams, have quit on their coaches throughout the entirety of the league. And this is still the most individual goal, goal scores in MLS history. That That's an achievement no, no matter who the opponent is. Right, and it, it its roots are in both getting, you know, getting that emotional buy-in from the players, getting that commitment level, but also getting the tactics right. Because if you keep getting the tactics right, you kind of create a situation where the players are going to stay bought in because they know you know what you're talking about. Um, and if you keep coming in against different teams and being like, this week, Toronto's going to do something they haven't done in months. They're going to change to a back five against us. I guarantee it. They don't, here's the other thing they might do. This is their norm. And I, I you know, in the preview for, for our study, I mentioned like TFC's mostly been playing a back four, but Chris Thomas is kind of all over the place. They might switch to a back five, but I didn't have to do any prep work to say what that would look like for DC and how to best attack it. The coaching staff did. They did all that and they were ready to go from the jump. And TFC was like, oh, you guys, you guys figured this out already. Oh, you've scored. Um, it, it happened that fast. So it um, happened faster than that, Jason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and so when something like that happens, uh, it's not just three points. It's not just an impressive win, but it's kind of uh, a kind of a calling card around the league, but it's also within the locker room. Uh, what better proof of concept are you going to get than arguably, I, I believe, um, at least up in Toronto, that the belief is among media that that's the most expensive roster in the league. Um, when they come to town and DC has, Losada has pretty smartly played up the fact that they haven't spent a lot of money, that generally speaking after games, he brings up the fact that the other team has has more money on their roster than, than DC does. When that team comes to town and you know everything that they're up to, you know it all in it well in advance, and then you take advantage of it you know, almost like, almost like at will, like, okay, I would like uh, this to happen now. And it just goes and happens. Um, I mean, it's going to be very difficult to, for someone to knock this team off of their stride, the psychological level, the morale side of things right now, because they just, they come into every game hyper prepared and hyper brought, bought in. And it's now we're starting to see them, the automatic stuff that we talked about for a while uh, back in April and May it's starting to happen. That first goal is a perfect example. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the stories, there's a graphic that um, John, I'm sp- spacing on his last name, space, space, John space. John Muller. Thank you. Um, great newsletter. Great presence on Twitter. If you don't follow him, uh, he posted a graphic of basically teams goals added for and goals added against last year versus this year. Uh, using American soccer analysis metrics. And you you look at DC United on this chart and they go from the bottom left quarter, which is bad attack, bad, bad defense. <laughs> yeah, the bad place. <laughs> the bad. And they moved they moved further than anybody else has moved this year. Um, to the good place. Now in, in yeah. well into the good place, like in the top three or four teams in the good place at the top right wanna- corner. I do want to bring up the fact that 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 chart was initially brought up by Matt Doyle to highlight TFC's decline, 
Yes. And if you look at the lines of the two teams, they're they almost flat. exactly opposite. Which well, is DC United is like twice as long. So like as much yeah, as yeah, TSP yeah. declined, the also, is like they're they are overlapping for most of the stretch of both yes, lines. Exactly can, the can, same trajectory or the same vector. Inverse inverse trajectories. But yes. can, can we also spend a minute? Like I I know we've all talked about this on Twitter, but I just want to get it on record in the podcast. Like this could have been us. Like, if we had hired Chris Armas, yeah. this could have been DC United. Speaking of the bad place. Right. Yeah. Like, DC United, I feel like DC United would have been at least this bad, if not worse, if we had hired Chris Armas. Because at least TFC has more money thrown at their roster. Uh, and, like, it was touch and go that, that DC, like... I think Goff was saying that like DC United was close to hiring Chris Armas yeah. and Pablo, it broke Pablo down Mauer at the last. Said, Pablo Mauer said it was, it was down to financial considerations. Like Armas wanted more money than DC United was willing to pay him. And, and I'm so glad, like for once, I'm so glad DC United didn't pay someone yeah. the money because it was, the contrast was stark in this game that like, Hiring Chris Armas would have just been like it, it would have been just a, a, an, an abominable thing. It, it, yes, exactly. It would have been Kurt Anolfo all over again. And just like if you're gonna if you're gonna get rid of Ben Olson, which obviously it was the time to do. We said this for a long time on this podcast. You can't go with Chris Armas after that. You've got to go a different direction. And luckily, they did. And Ernon Losada is showing that. That new direction, that non-Chris Armas direction, was the right way to go. Yeah, I'm not sure that this team would have. Like, I, I think I wrote this on the site. But I'm not sure they would have won more than a game um, yeah. out of twelve. Uh, and it's because you know Armas has a reputation as a good assistant. Okay, uh, but what we've seen with it, him as a head coach, so does Carl Nolfo. He, he well, I don't know if Nolfo even has that. Um, but he, he, he's gotten hired a lot as an assistant. Um, but like with Armas, what we've seen from him both times is I'm taking over a team that's good at something and I'm going to get them away from the thing they're good at, but not get them to the new thing. So I'm just going to be sort of stuck in the middle. So he made possession based TFC kind of not really much of anything. Um, sometimes they tried to press or. Uh, uh, sometimes they tried to press, but they were no good at it. Um, just like he did with the Red Bulls, where he was like, guys, let's get away from being a pressing team. Let's become a possession team. And then they were just sort of middling again. Um, and with DC, the end of last season, there wasn't really m- much of an identity to begin with. Um, so where do you, like, how do you even end up in the middle of all that stuff if you don't even have a starting point? Um, so yeah, this, uh, it definitely feels like, uh, you know, just uh, a real lucky moment for DC that uh, they decided let's 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 try and expand this coaching search out a little bit, see what else is out there because it turns out there's a whole world of coaches, um, and if you have, <laughs> if you can combine that institutional knowledge of MLS and its weird workings with a better coach, then you might get from just saying, okay, who are some guys that coached in MLS, yeah. um, because those guys are still around looking for jobs, but you don't have to hire them. You can look around elsewhere and kind of marry the two. Like this is someone whose knowledge of the game is above that group by a good amount with 
these are some folks that know how to make things happen in MLS and know how all the weird rules work. And that, it turns out, seems to be the way to do it. Uh, the other teams that are good all seem to figure this out somewhere along the line. Going back to Hernan Losada, I feel like the improvement isn't just from twenty to from 2020, though. It's been, we, we say on this podcast all the time, progress isn't linear, but it's been remarkably linear this year. Week over week, you can see, it's like, well, they, they need to improve on this aspect. And the next week, they do that. It's like, well, now they need to start, the defense looks great. They need to start creating chances. They do that. It's like, well, they're not putting them away. Now, now they need to do that. Seven goals later, here we are. Um, the week over week improvement has been, I, I, frankly, remarkable, and it can't possibly keep up at that pace. Uh, like on that, don't schedule, say that. Adam, it could. <laughs> I, I, if it did, then that's going to be incredible. This team's going to set some records. But yeah, they're um, they're about to be Barcelona. I, I mean, beyond that, like at this pace, like it, it's going to end up being like the fast and furious movies where we go from at the beginning of the, the season, stealing DVD players. And at the end of the season, we might be immortal and we're literally in yes. space, space. Immortals. So, <laughs> so like that's, that's the trajectory this team is on right now. Like if you look at that chart that I mentioned, um, but it's not just the team, individual players are progressing. Like Kevin Paredes has come on leaps and bounds. Um, Moses Nyman's improved. Andy Nahar, we already talked about, uh, Donovan Pines like looks more comfortable. He's he's still obviously Ola very Kamara. large and has to earn his like live in his body. Ola Kamara, like so many players have been just improving week over week, and I think the coach deserves some credit for that as well. Yeah, or you know someone like Junior Moreno last year. Uh, we had yeah, oh absolutely, know, and even early in this season, it was like, well, if there's one spot that is maybe up for grabs right now, it might be Moreno once. Um, some of these other players, you know, once Felipe is healthy, um, and once it's, you know, a little more time for Nyman to adjust the system. Uh, but instead those last two games before the Copa America break, Moreno really lifted his play. And in this game, it was more of the same of that. Um, that through ball, I did not know he had, he, he mm -hmm. had the, the assist on Nigel Roberta's goal, just a, a through ball that broke. Oh. Amazing. all of Toronto's defense. It was fantastic. And I did not know Junior Moreno could do that. And I'm really happy he can. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, you guys were listing players because it, it really is all over the field. Um, I know that there are some fans calling for Julian Gressel to not start, but like all the underlying data says that he's actually been arguably the most effective player on the team this year. Um, at least from. He's, like, he's, the, he's the glue that just makes everything run. We, you know, because he's not getting goals and assists, um, but right. there's yeah, a whole yeah. bunch of other things in soccer and he's doing all of that stuff at a high level. Um, right. And he's looking a little more like the Julian Gressel that played under Tata Martino. We're seeing him get into more dangerous spots. He looks faster. Um, so, yeah, it, it really is all over the field. Um, and even guys that haven't played that much, uh, you know, Griffin Yao is a perfect example. Someone that um, picked up an injury, missed some time and then just couldn't get uh, you know, get himself a chance to even get in uniform on game day. Um, that is tough when you've been arguably the best player or top three in any youth game you've played for so long to all of a sudden be one, you know, have your first year of major action come in a miserable year for your whole team. Uh, and that happens to be the team that you're coming from their academy. So it me it probably means even more to you. Um, and then to come in and this year there's a new coach, you get your new chance, but the timing of it, uh, of your injury ends up kind of robbing you of that first impression. 
Um, that's a really tough scenario. And yet, what did we see from Griffin Yao in this game? But he comes in and he plays that game. He played that game as if, I I mean, I think I said after the game that he played like it was 0-0, but really he played like DC was trailing. Um, the, the level of urgency to make a difference in the game and the, the hunger and, and also that sense of like, this is a team that we can do something against. Um, this is a game where I can get on the score sheet. This is a game where I can, um, cause he's an attacker, you know, attackers want to score goals and get assists. It does mean something to them. They're not, even when they're like, well, you know, it's good. The team won, you know, I'm glad to have contributed a goal. They want to score. It means a lot to be the guy that scores. Um, and so for Yao to come in to a game that is effectively over and instead of being like, well, I just got to go out there and, you know, do my job and, and, you know, run here and there. And that'll be that. Instead, he was like, here's my chance to get an assist for Ola Kamara um, with this, this ball over the top. And then, you know, to run a good 60 yards to catch up to Kamara to celebrate the goal at the end, uh, which was very fun. Um, And even in the 90th minute to say like, this is a ball that I could just let go. Like that ball is headed out of bounds. He or I can take it to the corner or. Yeah. Or, or do whatever. But instead he was like, this is my time. I'm going for goal. Um, and it's just the the amount of the investment that the players all have in the idea right now. Um, it this is what leads to that. This is what leads to this like across the board performance jump. Um, just everyone on the team, you know, no matter where you look, we're talking about someone who looks better than they did last year, and it's because everyone is one. You know, the system it turns out does actually fit a lot of them, and where it doesn't. Losada has made his adjustments to sort of help um, some guys figure it out um, or, or find a role that works more for them than we might have thought initially. Nahar being the perfect example of that, um, but yeah, the, the whole system is really um, it's a it's a virtuous cycle right now. It seems like the the tactics bleed into better morale, which bleeds into players finding their absolute best form all at once which leads into being able to do more difficult tactical things. And so now the, the attacking end can be more intricate and more uh, based on clever movements and not just let's get the ball forward and then press the other team and then we'll go score. Now DC can do the damage with the ball. Um, and it's hard work. There's a plenty of work that goes into this, but it's also to a certain extent, it doesn't happen this fast unless everyone is in a great place mentally right now. And it seems like, across the board, everyone's it seems to be a pretty great place right now. Absolutely. And um, like credit to the trainers for getting everyone healthy and fit enough because the, the injury list is much more manageable looking now than it's been all year. Um, people were worried about the injury list continuing to grow like it did in those early days. And it hasn't, everyone has been doing the work, the players, the trainers, the coaching staff. Um, you mentioned Yao's goal and, Honestly, that was my favorite finish of the night uh, of the the seven goals. That one was maybe the best finish for me uh, just because he got the ball on the end line impossible angle and manages to just kind of Jedi mind trick the keeper into leaning away from the near post. And then he just put it exactly where it needed to go. Um, you see keepers all the time. Bill Hamid has been guilty of this cheat on the cross when the angle is that low. And Griffin Yao knew exactly what he's doing and teased it and then put it away um what else do you guys want to talk about on this game uh you know something that comes to mind for me is that the competition up front is still going very strong uh, bertha got the nod without rotation being involved which i think was pretty significant 
um, for him to get a start. Uh, scored a goal again uh, pretty quickly. It's a good run. You know, Junior Moreno rightly getting a ton of plaudits, but from there, Roberta made the whole thing look very easy. Um, we talked a little last week about um, in the NYCFC game how he set them up to let him have the free run um, with his movements further up the field. Um, and that he did that again. So that's good. That's exactly what you want to see out of him. But you also, what you also want to see is when Ola Kamara comes in for him for Kamara to immediately go and score himself a goal and then have another one called back for offside um, and look like someone who is ready to fight. Because last year, some of the issue with Kamara wasn't just fitness. It wasn't just the injuries, but you know, mentality wise, he didn't have a lot of fight in him. He looked frustrated. uh, He looked kind of down. Um, and you know, coming off of, he's the leading scorer on the team. And for him to, for him to be told, listen, Ola, you're, you're coming off the bench this week. That is a tough thing to hear. Uh, and he can take that as, uh, you know, what am I going to do? I can't, you know, they brought this other guy in. I, I, you know, it's a lost cause, or he can come in and say like, next week you're putting me in because I did this. You, You gave me a chance in a game where I could have been a passenger and I went out and made as much as I could happen. Uh, and it, it, ran up the score. Yes. But, uh, that's what you want to do when you sub into a game. Um, so that seems to be a completely good situation as far as getting the best out of the attack and, and finding some finishing, because right now you have to be playing at a high, high level to get on the field. So if you're Nigel Roberta, you don't get any chance to be like, well, I scored the goal. So I, you know, this week is not that big of a deal for me. You have to say like, okay, tomorrow at or you know, Tomorrow they probably had off or did regen only or whatever. But the first training session where they're back in it, you are back in competition with Ola Kamara because he scored as many goals as you did um, and showed just as much fight and, and you know, combination play and all of that stuff. So um, it's, again, it, it's hard to come up with too many. The, it, maybe the only complaint I have is maybe towards the end of the first half, DC kind of thought the game might be over a little bit. There's a little bit of like, this thing settled, right? And TFC for a while was like, yeah, we're not going to try. Um, but because they started finding it a little easy, TFC started to play themselves into it just a little bit. Um, they got their goal to make it 3-1. Um, and I think from there, DC responded correctly. They It wasn't like the half dragged out with TFC knocking on the door or anything. DC got themselves back into the game in the right way. Um, but yeah, that, that will be something that I'm sure that gets brought up to them because uh, – if you go up three, nothing at home and you give up the one and, and maybe you get a little wobbly coming out of the second half. Um, TFC brought in Alejandro Pozuelo. They, they were definitely hoping that DC and Jefferson Saltado both. Right. And, and they were hoping that DC would maybe wobble a little bit and get a little complacent with the situation. Um, but instead DC just completely pummeled Toronto from that point on. And that's a, uh, it's a positive response, but you do want to see them get that, you know, connect that first half hour with the the second half and not have that maybe five, 10 minute lull towards the end yeah. of the half. Hey, Jason, if you take out the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes of this game, DC United only wins two to one. So <laughs> um, no, the, the worrying moment for me came literally on the kickoff after Kevin Paredes goal and in, in the second minute of the game, like, DC United just didn't get back. They were a little too, too jubilant, I guess. And Toronto are, FC very are, nearly scored. But we are not. Why, going why to are we dwell. nitpicking a seven to one win? Because there's always room for improvement, Ben. Well, I don't know. Let's not. Let's not. All right. We can nitpick another night. All right. In that case, I will say DC United have a bye week in league play. 
this week, but they will be squeezing in a couple of games against Alianza and Alohalense. Uh, the, the, the brand new Capital Cup. Brand new Capital Cup now sans Puebla, uh, who pulled out of the four-team tournament, making it a three-team tournament because of a COVID outbreak on the team. Um, at least in the first game on Wednesday, DC United plays their two games now in the, the three-team tournament on Wednesday and Saturday. So they'll have a full week off before the, the next game against Philly. Um, Good. At least in this first game, look for it to be mostly reserves. Loud and United call ups, maybe academy Perhaps. players, even. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would hope. I would hope. I, I did ask the team for a roster for this, and we're recording Tuesday night. The game is Wednesday night, and I haven't received that yet. I don't think an email has come with that e- information either. So, um, currently staring at a preview that I'm not really sure what what it's going to look like because I don't know who's involved. But we do know some players won't be involved. We know. Uh, Paul Ariola, Donovan Pines are with the national team. Kevin Paredes and Moses Nyman are training with the national team. Um, and there's also a Venezuelan report saying that Giovanni Bolivar, uh, who is a DC player on loan, and Darluis Paz, who is only a Loudon player, um, are both likely to be called up, um, which would make sense if you take Ariola away and you say, you know, I don't necessarily want. Uh, Adrian Perez and Kamara and Herbertha to play a ton of this game, um, that those guys might come up, but that's all we really have. We don't have a whole bunch else. So nine, nine years and two days ago, I posted this article on July 4th, 2012. I wrote my article about how much I hate summer friendlies and it was nine years ago and two days and my opinion has not changed. I hate summer friendlies. They're bad. I hope we just have Loudoun United and and people recovering uh, from injuries playing in these games because all of DC United's starters need to rest. And other than that, like it, these could be inner team friendlies for all I care. They like these are pointless worthless and i hate them knowing that dc united organized a couple of friendlies during the three-week break earlier this season i feel less upset about these friendlies especially knowing that they are probably calling up loudon players as well um it, it doesn't give you a lot as a fan like i'm not i don't even care that much about a fan like i mean but I mean, if they they're because you're, organizing... you're not getting you're not getting season ticket benefits that you're supposed to get extra games for, and that does suck. But like, there's not that much time between now and the Philadelphia game that Jason mentioned. And if you're playing any possible starters, it's just like they need some rest. It's been a lot of games. Yeah, let them let them let them sit in those hot tubs but... and just like rest their muscles. There's a flip to this though, and it's that there are a lot of guys who haven't played very much. Um, and so like someone like Griffin Yao is probably going to start both of these games. Um, so that's, that's a big plus for him. Um, after this game, this last game, the answer is in Spanish. So uh, I'm having to sort of guess at it, but I know Losada mentioned uh, Odoya Chem, possibly Drew Skundrich and possibly Steve Birnbaum playing some role in these games. Um, 
So they have some utility to those guys getting them a few minutes without the stress of being like, I have to put you in this game where maybe, you know, maybe you've only got 15 minutes in you, or maybe we're, we're testing to see how much you can actually do. Um, and not, not having that test come in league play is a nice situation. So, but they could have, uh, they could have gotten this against like a DC United versus Loudoun United game. I don't think you can. Um, because the intensity is just not going to be there in that game. Um, you know, a guy from Alajuelense is going to come in and say, like, maybe this is, you know, if I play well in this game, maybe DC United calls Alajuelense up and makes a transfer for me. Um, whereas a lot of the guys with Loudon, they know that it's not this one and only opportunity to prove themselves. They have the whole year to make their case for a future contract or having their Loudon deal turned into an MLS deal or, or what have you. So, um, I do understand uh, where, where Ben's coming from. And some of these midseason friendlies we've encountered in the past have been less, uh, less credible in my mind when they're just like plugged into the schedule on a Wednesday, when there's a game Saturday, um, when they're, when they're in Jacksonville and no one yes, can see. Or absolutely. Absolutely. An unacceptable thing to do. Do not, do not help out the owner of a British team by being the guest at his stadium opening. No, uh, it wasn't the stadium opening. It was the christening of the new Jumbotron. Even worse. At an existing um, stadium. But yeah, don't don't help those guys out. Uh, they don't need your help, uh, and they never will. Um, but, but a game like this during the Gold Cup break, um, I would rather the team play this sort of we-picked-some-opponents kind of friendlies than the during the last break, during the international break, to have a series of closed-door friendlies. Those, I think, bother me more um, because there is – some utility to showing people what you're doing and what these younger players can do and all that. Um, closed door friendlies to me, it's not a, it's the kind of thing you do if you have like secrets. Um, and we have to get over the idea that MLS is full of secrets because it's not really full of secrets. Uh, MLS and the clubs might think it is, uh, but oftentimes it is not. So it's kind of a waste of time that only really is detrimental to fans. So if they're going to do friendlies to fill these large breaks in the schedule in, make it a thing, like bring, you know, bring people in, bring, you know, um, inviting Alianza. It's the first time a Salvadoran club has come to DC in quite some time. Uh, that's a nice thing to do that, that can be, that has some utility uh, as opposed to some of the past random friendlies that have been like, why are we bothering? What is this for? After the Capital Cup, DC United will be back in MLS action Saturday, July 17th at Philadelphia. Uh, it'll be a real test. DC United hasn't, except for week one against NYC, they haven't beaten a good team yet. They've taken care of business, which is what you need to do. But now they get to test themselves against something harder, uh, which will be good. I'll be glad to see it. Um, the supporters groups are organizing at least one bus going up. There might be more. I don't know. So if you're interested in going, talk to them. You might be able to grab a seat on a bus and get up there. We will preview that that game uh, on a show next week. That does it for this episode of Filibuster. Thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster patreon patrons will get our second episode this week early that'll be a sit down with jason davis to talk about god knows what we'll find out when we record it um find us on twitter at black and red U at filibuster dcu uh send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com 
Download, subscribe, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show. Uh, For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. This is the end of the show. Turn the show off. But what if there's more show? There isn't.